27 years ago today, little brown-haired, 30-pound lighter, Baptist minister, walked into the media center at Harvest to become part of the staff. I came on board to fill in a short time while we had a staff member's wife was passing away with cancer. I started on Sunday. The lady passed away on Wednesday. And I thought, I'm going to be a short-term staff member. God had other plans. And I say to you this morning that the past 27 years has been the best 27 years of my life in a church. I want to talk to you this morning about revival. We've all experienced revival. I preached a lot of revivals. Before I came on staff at Harvest, it was nothing unusual for me to preach eight to ten revivals a year uh, all over the place. Uh, Mark, I've been to churches that was ready for revival, and I've seen God move in a mighty, mighty way, and uh, people were stirred, and souls were changed, life was changed, needs were met, and we left the end of the week rejoicing, and we were just on, on cloud nine because of what God had done. I've been in meetings with people where we preach from Sunday morning, uh, from Sunday night to Friday night, and we've left there some tired, wore-out ministers, and God did very little that week because they were not prepared for revival. Revival is not an accident, people. Revival is not even uh, complicated. Revival is very clear uh, as to what it takes to have a revival. And I want to read this morning out of Psalms, uh, uh, Psalms 85 to begin with, but we're going to use a lot of Scripture, and I've got a long way to go this morning, and so uh, I, want to, I want you to stay with me. I'll try to finish as soon as I can. But we were talking this week about revival and the need of revival and how churches is crying out for a revival. In fact, we were talking this week with some other pastors, and in that meeting we were discussing how few of the younger generation see a need of church. That's just not in their priority list. In fact, I, I, I can't tell you how thrilled I was a couple of Sundays ago whenever we had a lot of young children and young people and young couples be baptized. Uh, it's exciting whenever those people are seeking God and they're, and they're making their plans to be a child of God. Uh, but not very many people are doing that anymore. And so there is a cry for revival. In the Bible, in Psalms 85, the children of Israel were coming back from exile. They were entering back into the promised land. And as they looked around, they saw the toll uh, that sin and disobedience and evil and famine and uh, all of these things and drought had taken on their land. And as they looked around, they, they, they remembered that God in times past had restored Israel and God had met needs in times past. And, and so that's a setting that we're reading in, in Psalms 85 whenever he begins and says, You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. 
You forgave the iniquities of your people and you covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Then the prayer came. Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. What is revival? What is the meaning of revival? Webster says it's an improvement in the condition of strength, a revival. Robert Coleman said the revival is the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Revival in its full meaning is, is, uh, is whenever we become active or flourishing again. It's to restore us from a depressed, inactive, or unused state. And I'm going to tell you this morning, we do need a revival. America needs a revival. Aniston and Oxford needs a revival. Harvest needs a revival. Don needs a revival this morning. How to be stirred back to our original intended purpose. Whenever we look at that, there's a, it is a unique season when God, through the Holy Spirit working in our lives, helps us to do things in a supernatural way and reach people in a unique way for the cause of Christ. You say, well, where did we find that? What is an example of God bringing and stirring up a revival? I want to go back to Acts chapter 2. This pastor's been uh, preaching from the first part of this, but I want to begin in the 14th verse of Acts chapter 2. And we find God whenever he again brings about a revival. Uh, verse 14 says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. Wait a minute. It said, then Peter stood up with the eleven. The last time we saw Peter, he was denying Christ. The last time we saw Peter, he was running. He was deserting Christ. The last time we saw Peter, he was saying, I don't even know the man. I'm not one of his disciples. I'm not with him. I don't even know who he is. But something has taken place between that time and Acts chapter 2 because on the day of Pentecost, whenever the Holy Spirit fell from heaven and they fell upon all of them and they began to speak with, uh, with other tongues and God began to move, there was something happened in Peter's life. He had a revival take place. He said then he stood up and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. 
The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter wasn't running anymore. He was standing. Peter wasn't by the fire anymore. He had the fire in him. He had been revived to the point uh, that he was willing and ready uh, to go forward with the great commission that God had left them to do. He said, I have experienced a revival, and we need that kind of revival at harvest. We need a stirring that causes each one of us to move uh, from that position of inactivity into a position of activity and doing what we've been called on to do uh, by God. But how do we experience that kind of revival? What is the will of God? Luke 19 and 10 says, For the Son of Man come uh, to seek and to save the lost. Revival is when you and I fulfill our purpose in life, and that is to be salt and light. We are called to season the place where God has placed you and to give light to the dark places God allows you to go. So why do we do that? Why is it necessary uh, for you and I? Why is, it, why is it necessary for you and I uh, to carry out that great commission? I want you to look around you this morning. Look to your left. Now look to your right. And I want you to say to the one on the left, we're all God's got. I want you to turn to the one on your right and say, we're all God's got. We're it, people. If the Great Commission is going to be carried out, it's going to be carried out in 2022 by the people that name Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That's all God's got to work with this morning. But we share that because this is our calling. The whole purpose of us being on planet Earth, whether you know it or not, is to know Jesus. Before you came to know Jesus, your purpose on life in life was to find Jesus. And once you found Jesus, your whole purpose in life is to tell others about Jesus. It's our calling this morning. It's the only reason we're here. Uh, God created us here to worship him. Matthew said, let me tell you why you're here. Now, I'm reading from the Message Bible this morning. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. We all have cell phones this morning. If I can make this work without dropping it. I got a light. You got your light? It don't do a whole lot of good in all these lights. But you take that into a dark world. You take that into a dark place. I walk all through the back 40 here. And I take that little bitty light and I'm able to see everything that's going on. Why is your light important? Because in a dark world, uh, people can see God from a long way off in your life if you're letting your light be salt and light for God. It makes a difference where you are this morning. But he said, your light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. 
He said, we're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bushel, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you on a hilltop on a light stand, then he said, shine. I want you to join me one time. Just say shine. Shine. That's what we're here to do. We're here to let our light shine this morning. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you prompt people to open up with God, uh, this generous Father in heaven. Peter put it like this in 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to, publish, to perish, uh, but everyone come to repentance. So why do we share? Why do we carry out this great commission? It's because that's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do. The second reason we do that is because people need the Lord. News alert this morning. The only way to get to heaven is to be saved. News alert this morning. The only way to leave this life and enter into eternal life with God is for you to have a personal relationship and be born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. In a world that has forgotten that message altogether and that's not preaching that message anymore, heaven is real and hell is real this morning. People need the Lord. There is a heaven and there is a hell. The reason we share our faith with people that is because they need the Lord because I'm going to tell you this morning, church is not a game. Parents... Lost children are going to hell. Children lost parents are going to hell. Lost siblings are on their way to hell. Uh, they're, without, even, uh, without even a word of warning, many times they plunge right off into eternity uh, without God because no one has ever shed that light or sowed that salt uh, to make a difference in their lives. This is not a game we're in, church. Lives are in balance. People's lives are holding in the balance. Their eternity lies many times in our hands that we have an opportunity to make a difference. He said in John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, again from the Message Bible, he said, God didn't go out of all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger uh, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. To put the world, to put the world right again. Anyone that trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. Without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one of a kind son of God when introduced to him. Pastor said many times, there's only one thing that'll send you to hell. And that's failing to believe in the only begotten Son of God. Failing to trust God as your Savior is the only thing that will send you to hell. So we need to share our faith because we're not in a game. You know, nowadays, if you compete in a sport, we've got it to where everyone, winners, losers, if you're there, whether you're playing the game or not, you get the trophy. Well, I tell you, the only way you're going to ever get a trophy from God is to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved, to be born again. 
We need a revival. We need to share our faith. And third thing this morning is because I really believe people want the Lord. I really believe they do. I believe this morning, like John 10, 10 says in the Message Bible, I came so that people could have real and eternal life more and better uh, than they ever dreamed of. I believe that down deep inside everybody, there is a longing, there is an emptiness uh, that can only be filled by God. You say, well, people live like they don't know God. Uh, they live, they, they don't care. Uh, but I want to tell you, the Bible says that God created you and I in his own image. He created us in his own image. And the Bible also tells us that God has placed eternity in all of our hearts. So whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, God's still in you, and there's still an emptiness that only God can fill. In fact, I hear all the time people say, well, I just don't believe in God. I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. I can tell you this this morning. Everything the devil brings to you and gives to you is going to do nothing in your life but bring about misery and defeat. He's the only thing the devil's ever going to do in your life is tear you down. He's going to leave you just like the prodigal son living in a pig pen. But God's offered eternal life, and I believe people want to hear that. When we share our faith, people hear of a God who changed our lives. I believe that they want to know that life. I believe they want to know what that's all about. The problem is today is that too many times we share about a building. We share about a church. We share about a group of people. Let me tell you, people don't need to hear about a building they don't need to hear about a, a group of people or a denomination. They need to hear about a life-changing God who's able to save them and is able to turn their life around and that's able to break those strongholds in their lives this morning. They need to hear about Jesus. Fourth reason this morning is because you and I was once lost. You and I was once on our way to hell. You and I was once without God. I know I hear stories from many of you that were saved as children. I wasn't born into a Christian home. I was born into a family that did not attend church. And uh, I've told you many times, and I don't have time to share all that story with you, but I was started, I wasn't taken to church until I was six years old. And so for that time, I got to know what church was. Uh, you know, I went to the Baptist church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday night. We went to the Church of God on Wednesday night. We went to the Methodist church on Thursday night. You see, whenever my mom and dad got saved, they wanted to make sure they was really saved. Uh, they wanted to make sure that, uh, that they didn't miss out on anything. So we went everywhere to church. And so I got to know what church was. In fact, at 10 years old, I walked down an aisle. I knelt in an altar. I made a decision. I got up. I joined and I was baptized. I got to know the church. I got to know church. But let me tell you, on September the 11th, 1973, in a rural church in Shelby County, when we didn't lock our doors, 
I went into an altar of prayer that Tuesday morning all by myself. And I got to know God. I got to know God. And because of the difference God has made in my life, I want to share everybody else because I want other people to experience the life that I've experienced while I've walked with God. Hey, I've had some tough times. I've had some hills and I've had some valleys, but I have never taken one step without God holding my hand. You know, I, I love that old song. I loved it. Brother Jenny's funeral, we sang that song. You know, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. But uh, the reason I want to share that is because in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, he said, For Christ's love uh, compels us because we are convinced uh, that one died for everyone. We want to share that good news. God died for you. And I want to tell you what he's done for me so that he can do the same thing for you. Uh, he can do the same thing for you that he's done in my life. Uh, Galatians said it like this. He said, but what happens when we live uh, God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others. Exuberance about life. Uh, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things. A sense of compassion in the heart. And a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in, in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Is it not joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. You know what? All of our goal ought to be is that I want my life to be so attractive that people that know me and don't know God will want to know God because they know me. That ought to be the goal of all of us. There was a study shown that if a person is looking for God and you're a sincere godly person, there's a large percentage of chance that that person is going to be led to God by your life. It's also a fact that if a person is looking for God and you're insincere in your godly walk with God, uh, that your life is going to be a hindrance to them ever finding God. And so we need to understand, people, this is not a game. God's all, God, we're all God has to work with, and God's depending on us. But I want to tell you, I wouldn't trade the life that I've had uh, with God for anything this world. I wouldn't even trade it for that $5 million cash they offered me. I want to tell you. There's nothing like knowing in the morning whenever I rise up out of that bed uh, that God is with me. That God is with me. And I say to all of you this morning that's watching online, whether you're in the hospital, God's with you. Whether you're at home, God's with you. Whether you're in the car, God's with you. Whether you're saved, God's with you. Whether you're lost, God's with you this morning. You can't hide from God. God is with you this morning, regardless of where you are. He's waiting on your call. How does this revival happen? If this is what revival is, how does it happen? 
Well, we have meetings of preacher. No, it's not. Revival happens whenever God's people become aware of what our purpose for God is, and we begin, number one, to recognize the moment God gives us. The world is going to be changed whenever you and I take opportunities given us in the world to lead people to God. You're, you don't live where you are by accident. The job that you hold down every day has meaning. The places that you travel every week is not just out of happenstance. But the Bible says in Psalms 37 and verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Every place you go, God provides an opportunity. We were, we're on the golf course this week. Pastor and I played on Wednesday mornings. If we can find a, a, a clearance that day, we don't have anything else pressing. And by the way, I think he beat me Wednesday. I try not to let that happen very often, but he might have beat me Wednesday out there on the golf course. But we're on hole number five, playing with a friend. He gets over the ball and ready to put it into the hole. He says something I very seldom ever hear on the golf course. He said, pray for me. He said, pray for me. We've always said God doesn't care about playing golf. Pastor said, Lord, help Marcus. Knock that ball, went straight in the hole, Willie. I'm thinking, hmm, what about that? Well, whenever I was sitting down making those notes, that came back to me. It may be the most subtle thing said that opens that door. It may be the smallest crack that God gives you that opportunity. But if somebody says, pray for me, pray for them. Pray for them right where they are. I let them know that you care about them and that you're going to take opportunity that God gives you. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. If you want revival, God will create the moment. You've just got to be aware that those moments are there. You've just got to be aware and take opportunity, uh, take advantage of those opportunities when God prevents, uh, presents him to you. Secondly, and let's refocus on the manner in which I live. And I'll say this to all of you sitting here this morning and watching online. This man needs this part as much as anybody needs this part. I'm a good guy overall. You could say amen. I can be nice. I can be polite. But there are times when I'm driving my truck that I'm barely saved. I don't have any trouble stopping whenever the traffic's crowded and letting someone in. I don't have any problem with that. I don't mind stopping at Walmart and let pedestrians walk back and forth. I'll be the kindest guy that you know. But don't let me pull up behind you in the left lane and you just dwelling there. Whoo! I was sitting there yesterday and I, I was thinking about that and that just popped in my mind out of nowhere. And I said, well, Lord, I'm going to share that tomorrow. Uh, Mike and... <laughs> My, Mike and Pam Northcutt sit right about where Randy and them do. Uh, they're not been able to come because of some uh, 
doctor's issues for many months now, but I thought about them, and I just texted him yesterday, and I know you're watching today, and I, I told him, I said, I'm going to share my road rage, and we were standing one morning, and I began to share some things, and lo and behold, Pam's as bad as I am about those things, and so, uh, but you know, there are things in your life that just trigger you instantly, and the manner in which we live has a big effect on the people that's watching our lives, and whether or not it makes a difference in their lives of finding Christ. I want to tell you, parents, the reason your children act the way they act is because they watch your actions. And the reason they say what they say is that they listen to your conversations. I know that from experience, people, I'm, I'm well aware of that. And so I, I read a story, and I used it in one of my devotions this week, about a young boy went into a little restaurant and sat down, and the waitress came by and said, Can I help you? And he said, How much is a Coke float? She said, 75 cents. He looked at it, he, how much is just ice cream? She said, it's 50 cents. He said, I'll have the ice cream. So she brought him his ice cream. He ate it. He got up and slipped out. She had bigger fish to take care of, and so she was running about. She ran back, and she grabbed his plate, his bowl off the table, and when she did, she realized there was another quarter under the bowl. He had enough money for the Coke float, but he sacrificed that Coke float so he could leave her a tip for serving her. I want to tell you this morning, the manner in which you live makes a difference. It makes an impact this morning. We need to respect people, and people need, uh, to, the people need respected uh, by the people of God. We need to go about with a positive and not a negative attitude. I'm going to tell you, I sat over there Wednesday afternoon and the devil just climbing uh, his best trying to get me to be negative about what we were facing and what uh, was going to come in and make preparations and all those things. And uh, I, I, that song came to mind, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I want to tell you this morning, regardless of what you're facing, don't allow the devil to get you negative. Uh, stand up and be positive about the God that you serve. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. Be positive. Your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. Don't think you're going to go on the job four days a week and have the most negative attitude. And on Friday, whenever somebody mentions a problem that they have, that you're going to be effective saying God can help you. If we're going to have revival, we're going to change our attitudes. And we're going to deal with people like they're real people and like their lives matter. Because the church today, how many times is walking around with our chin up like we've never done anything wrong in our lives, and there's a world going to hell because we were so negative. The second thing, this, this is not fun, folks. Uh, the second part is common ground, not battleground. We're living in a society where we like to argue, we like to find differences. This world right now is divided. Congregation, if we set sides and sides, some of us would be divided. And so we can always find a battleground. We always can. But I read Thursday afternoon, whenever I was making some notes about this, 
about Jesus whenever he went to the well and met the Samaritan woman. There was a battleground already there. It was a Jew and a Samaritan. He had, every, he had every opportunity in the world uh, to let that battle, uh, let that battleground be the forefront of all that he said. But he found common ground. What was that common ground? A drink of water. He used that drink of water to be common ground uh, so that he could talk to her and so that he could converse with her and change her life. What happened because he found common ground with one person? A whole city. A whole city. A whole village got to come out and see Jesus, and they met Jesus through one act of common ground. It's important for us to understand that. Paul said, to the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. Find common ground. Find common ground. Find a like interest. Golf has opened up a lot of doors for me of people. I've, I, I play golf with some that claim to be atheists. And, you know, one of the last conversations that I had with a particular one that I've not seen in a while, I, I said, he went to a funeral. He came back and he said, Lord, Don, if y'all believe all that stuff I heard at that funeral, why would anybody want to live? Why wouldn't you want to just go on to heaven? I said, well, we like to enjoy our families here and all the things that God has for us here, and then he determines when we go to, to be with heaven. I said, what happens whenever one of your belief dies? He said, it's just over. I said, let me tell you this. If you're right, I hadn't missed anything. But if I'm right, you've missed it all. Common ground. Common ground opens doors this morning. I must hurry. Their perspective, not my perspective. I want to tell you, you don't have to believe like they believe. You don't have to do what they do. But if you don't understand them and if you don't understand where they are, you're never going to have an effect in their life. You've got to understand their perspective and not just see it from your perspective. Has it ever occurred to you that not everyone is born in the Bible Belt of America? Not every person grew up in vacation Bible school or kids' fest. Not everybody has been through a church door and understands all that you understand. If we're ever going to have revival, we're going to have to understand there's a perspective that we have got to get through to reach people. I found it, I found it interesting in studying this. Jesus asked, 307 questions in the New Testament. 307 times he asked a question. Only 180 few questions was he asked. Jesus did a whole lot of times trying to see and trying to understand their perspective of things. Because until we can see where they are, we're never going to be able to change them. And one of those times that Paul went into Athens, you know, the city was, had all kinds of shrines and all kinds of gods. And they were worshiping all of those gods. And instead of entering in there and saying, hey, I'm going to stand on this. There's a battleground here uh, that I believe in the one true God and you're worshiping everything. He understood their perspective, and this is what he said. He said, it is plain to see that you Athenians 
take your religion seriously. You're great worshipers. You spend a lot of effort in what you're doing and what you believe. You're working hard at that. He said, when I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed to the God nobody knows. He said, I'm here to introduce you to this God so that you can worship him intelligently. Know who you're dealing with. Hey, I'm glad you worship. I, you already got that part down, but I want to tell you about the one true God that you've got out there that you say you don't know who it is. I want to tell you who that is. I want to tell you who God is, and I want to tell you the difference he can make in your life. The last part of our manners is patience, not pressure. Patience, not pressure. You can't force your way onto anyone, but I want to tell you, Unconditional love, patiently pursuing, will change more lives than you can ever imagine whenever you allow God. He said, don't get involved in, in 2 Timothy, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. The Lord's servants must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. They must be able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people they should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Unconditional love, not conditional love. Come on, singers. You don't have to like them. Let me take that back. You don't have to be like them, but you've got to like them to ever have a revival. You don't have to like anything they do. You don't have to be like them in any way. But you've got to have a compassion in your heart for lost people if revival is ever going to take place in our land. If lives are ever going to be changed and we're ever going to see anything move for the cause of Christ, we have got to like them. The third thing this morning in closing is that we've got to relay the message of hope to a broken world. To a broken world. Peter said, but in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. I talked to a person just this week. And they said, I feel better, Pastor Don, just talk, after, I've talking to you, after I've spoken to you about this. Wasn't anything that, about me. It was about the hope I gave them in God. That God is the one that's in control of all. He's in control of everything. Why is it important for us to have revival? Because one day, we're going to all be gathered our destinations. Either heaven or hell. There's only two places that we're going to go. There's a little poem that says it like this. When you enter the beautiful city and the saved all around you appear, what joy when someone will tell you it was you who invited me here.
You have people in your life that nobody else has the opportunity to reach like you have. You have people in your moving that only you will have those opportunities. That's what brings about revival, people. That's what brings about revival. Stand with me this morning. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, will heal their land. Verse 15 says, Now mine eyes shall be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Verse 16 says, For now I have chosen and sanctified this house. Chronicles was talking about the tabernacle, the temple of God. The New Testament tells us that the temple of God is who? You and I. That we are the temple of God. Sanctified and chosen this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. God has chosen you. God has chosen you to start a revival where you are. Start a revival where you are this morning until each one of us takes that to heart. America will never be changed until every child of God takes to heart the Great Commission. The world will never be changed. Sing this song with me this morning. I speak Jesus. Shout it from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak in holy name. Jesus. Because your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. God help us wherever we go. Sing this with us. I speak Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountain. Jesus in the street. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus Hey! 
That's what I want you to do this week. Wherever you go, speak Jesus. Whatever opportunities you have, speak Jesus. We want to see these pews filled, speak Jesus. Reach those that need to be reached. So I challenge you every time that I stand behind this pulpit, wherever you go, whatever area of life God takes you this week, brighten the dark corner of a lost world with the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more time, give God praise today. Sing, folks. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Shout Jesus from the mountain and Jesus in the street. Oh, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. And Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from in the street Oh, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy And Jesus for my family